Okay, this is Journalistic Integrity. My name is Robert Murphy, and we are officially two weeks out from NFL opening kickoff between the Dallas Cowboys and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Two weeks from today and two Thursdays, the NFL regular season will officially start. Pumped up for that. And you don't have to wait that long for meaningful football because this Saturday... 1 p.m., the college football season begins with Nebraska and Illinois. 1 p.m. on Fox. Football is back. It felt like the summer dragged in some parts, but we're back to football season. It's a great time to be a sports fan because we're right at the beginning of the football season. We're not, you know, week nine, week 10, where you can see the end of the football season. You start dreading your Sundays without football. We are at the beginning. Two weeks away from 17, 18, 19 straight Sundays of fantastic football. So pumped up for that. This episode, we've got a little bit of NFL sprinkled in, but the majority of it is about the Jake Paul-Tyron Woodley fight this Sunday. Jake Paul is 3-0 with three knockouts, looking to go 4-0 against the former UFC champion four-time champion I believe he defended his belt four times so I've got some thoughts on that fight coming up also a new segment where Twitter was wrong so there's stuff on Twitter sports media people on Twitter whether it's a topic about an athlete a team or anything else they come to some sort of consensus and in my opinion a lot of the times that consensus is wrong and so that's why I have this segment and That is at the tail end, and it is about Cam Newton. So be ready for that at the end of the episode. But first, let's start with the water cooler segment. Okay, first topic at the water cooler. A record 84 teams in college football will make a bowl game this year. That's 65% of all eligible teams. So if your team doesn't make a bowl game, they stink. In the NHL, they're adding patches, ads on the jersey for starting in the 2022-2023 season. We saw that start in the NBA a few years ago in 2017. Each team brought in $5 million a year from that. So the NHL is trying to get a piece of that ad money as well. They started with helmet decal ads last season and they brought in a total of $100 million on those. So they're trying to expand their revenue with some ad patches on the jerseys. Fanatics, we talked about them a couple weeks ago, expanding their business outside of just the merchandise and apparel. They're getting into gaming, NFTs, all that stuff. Well, they have just signed an exclusive 20-year deal with the NFL to manufacture sports cards. So not only do they have the NFL, they also have the NBA and the MLB last week, which ended the 70-year run that the MLB had with Tops and licensing out their sports cards. So in the MLB, they'll start in 2026 when Tops finishes, but it just shows Fanatics is growing and growing and expanding, and now they're in the NFL. All three of those major leagues also have equity in these deals with Fanatics, so they'll be completely bought in. Tops, all the cards that you have in your baseball cards that you have in your closet, all the old ones, they're all tops. They've been around forever. Like I said earlier, 70 years. 
This is a big blow for them. There was some controversy around it, how the MLB handled it. Apparently, they didn't approach Tops and say, hey, we're thinking about ending our deal because of this deal from Fanatics. They just made the deal with Fanatics without contacting Tops. It's unclear whether Tops would have been able to match that deal or beat it. Um, most people are saying they would not have been able to. They didn't have that sort of cash to increase their deal. But Tops is not completely done yet. They still have deals with the WWE. Apparently, there's WWE cards. Formula One, which is really big racing abroad. And it's been creeping into the U.S. sports consciousness as well lately. And... They have a licensing deal with Star Wars. So apparently Star Wars has playing cards. Um, not sure about that one. But they're still in the game. They're still a company. They're not completely done without MLB. But it's certainly a big blow, especially as the playing card business has increased the past 18 months. Last thing, the odds, Super Bowl odds. So the Chiefs first at plus 450, and then a pretty big drop to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at plus 700. And the last place team who has the who has the worst or the most long shot odds to win the Super Bowl are the Houston Texans, then Lions, then Bengals, then Jets, then Jags. And, and based on the Jags in the preseason, I would have thought they were last or second to last. But the most surprising thing is the Philadelphia Eagles are fifth or sixth to last. So they're right after those teams I just listed, which is strange because they're in a division that is not very good. So they could easily, not easily, but it's conceivable they could win the NFC East and get into the playoffs and have a chance at making a run at the Super Bowl. All right, that's the water cooler segment. Now let's talk about the Jake Paul fight. Okay, big fight this Sunday as the 24-year-old Former YouTuber turned boxer Jake Paul takes on the 39-year-old former welterweight champ. Defended his belt four times, Tyron Woodley. And a bunch of things about this fight that I want to talk about. Jake has Jake is very calculated in his opponent. So he started off with some random YouTube guy named Gibb, knocked him out. Then he went Nate Robinson, who is 5'7", no boxing experience, knocked him out. Then he went Ben Askren, who an amazing wrestler, like real, like one of the best wrestlers, Olympic Olympic champion, won titles in UFC, but he wasn't a striker. He never punched. His move was always to tackle somebody, grapple on the ground, and use his wrestling background. So he fought him in April and knocked him out. And every single person that Jake has fought has been shorter than him. So he plans all this out. In reality, a boxer would normally fight a boxer. Jake isn't the normal boxer, but we don't know how good he is yet. He's been, he's shown that he can knock people out. He's got a powerful right hand. This one's going to be the biggest test. And, and right now, Jake, the odds are in Jake's favor. He's minus 190 to Tyron Woodley's plus 45. So what that comes out to is about a 63% chance that Jake wins. But weirdly enough, he was less of a favorite against Ben Askren, who was more of a wrestler, less of a striker than Woodley. So that doesn't make sense. But what that tells me would be odds makers were really impressed by how Jake came out and crushed Ben. 
But here's the thing. So Ben Askren, I want to talk about Ben Askren for a quick second. Jake knocked him out a few months ago. I've never seen an athlete come into an event like this so unprepared, so oblivious that they're about to get embarrassed as Ben Askren did. He came in out of shape and it seemed like he just wanted to talk about Bitcoin in the pre-fight, in the promotions, all the podcasts he went on. He just wanted to talk about Bitcoin and fight on the side. And it's like it's like those videos you see on Instagram of girls at brunch and they're making a mimosa and it's a champagne glass filled with champagne and then they do a drop of orange juice. So the champagne is Ben Askren talking about Bitcoin and the drop of orange juice is the little tiny bit of training that he did for the boxing fight. It was really unbelievable and it was bad. I was pretty upset because, I mean, just imagine if if right now, wherever you are, an envelope dropped out of the sky right in front of you and it said, here's $500,000 and you'll get a million dollars if you win this fight and it starts in three or four months. You would get in the best shape of your life. You'd get a six pack or as close as you can to a six pack and you'd be you know, in the best shape possible because A, you want to win, you want the money, you don't want to get embarrassed and knocked out because you know the last fight against Jake, he knocked out Nate Robinson and Nate was memed into oblivion. So you don't want that. You know your shirt's going to be off. You want to look somewhat decent. And Ben Askren didn't do any of that. It didn't seem like he trained. It didn't seem like his punches could hurt a pillow and Jake just crushed him. So Jake has looked good, but we don't know how good he is yet. And Tyron Woodley is a guy that it seems like he has more respect and more pride, and he's not going to come into the ring like Ben Askren and just roll the ball out there and see what happens. It seems like he knows this sport, knows that you got it requires a lot of training. He did just change his coach, his striking, his boxing coach, um, pretty recently, which which is odd. But, I mean, he's 39 years old. That's older than Askren was. And so you wonder how much can a guy that was in the UFC did some striking. But, I mean, it's UFC. It's a lot of grappling and grabbing people. It's not a lot of just striking and punching. How much can a 39-year-old improve in four months? It doesn't seem like a lot. Um, But, Jake, I mean, going back to my previous point, extremely calculated. Each opponent is getting slightly better, a little bit better. But at the same time, Jake has had the height advantage by at least two or three inches in every single match, which means he's got the the longer reach. I think it's three or four inches greater than Woodley's reach for this coming up match. And this is is turning into must-watch TV, and, and it just goes to show how boxing has failed. Boxing has never been able to with you know just create the fight that everyone wants and just say hey we're gonna have this fight in two months the two best fighters remember back with when Mayweather and Pacquiao wanted to fight for years for eight ten years and then they have it when they're both at the tail end of their career I think that was in 2015 and it was a terrible fight that's the thing UFC's done better than boxing is Dana White's got the control he's got the contracts and he can just snap his fingers and say all right you're gonna sign this contract and we're gonna get McGregor versus Poirier, McGregor versus Khabib, um, all these fights, all the fights the fans want to see, they happen. In boxing, it really doesn't work like that. There's promoters, there's a lot of red tape to get through, 
And that's part of the reason why Jake has been so big is because he's people like boxing, but people don't know the boxers, right? So think of all the boxers, you know, how many of them, maybe, you know, Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, but then it starts to drop off after there. There's a couple of people. Ryan Garcia has been a big social media boxer. He's got a couple of fights coming up. Maybe, you know, Canelo, but that's four or five boxers that, you know, Jake Paul is a huge draw. People want to see him win or people want to see him get crushed. There's no in between. He's a big draw and he's showing how boxing needs to improve with their promotions, with their creating matchups that people want to see. There's interesting storylines in both of these. Woodley, Jake Paul, it's the UFC versus a boxer. It's the older guy versus a younger guy. And Jake Paul during the press conferences, whatever, he, he makes noise. He makes it happen. We saw him prior to the Logan Paul fight where he took Floyd Mayweather's hat and that went viral. All that stuff helps the draw and the numbers don't lie. He brings in a ton of boxers. It is just crazy. I mean, if you, if you want to, like we as a sports fans can't name any of like the great, the, the best boxer in like the 150 pound division or something like that. There's no like playoff system. There's no awareness see like a boxing match on ESPN. You're like, what? You know, it only feels like it matters if it's on HBO or pay-per-view. So they've done a really poor job of making big matchups and kind of explaining the sport. And it's hard to explain because there's really no rhyme or reason. It's just, you know, someone gets the belt and they try and defend it, but there's no like playoffs. There's no system. And so a lot of these boxers don't have a heavy weight to their name. People don't know their name. People know Jake Paul. And he's actually dedicated. I mean, he could have made a bunch of money continuing to do YouTube videos. Maybe he's, he's probably making more money now. But he wants Jake wants to keep winning, stacking these wins, get to 7, 8, 9, and 0 until he fights a legit boxer. He wants to get to McGregor. He wants to fight all these bigger names and have a huge, these huge payouts. But he's been very specific on who he wants to fight because a loss for him, for a non-boxer, to lose and go three and one or have a loss on the record the draw for him is a lot lower it takes a huge hit than it would for a normal boxer he's undefeated it's a big storyline can he do it can a guy who actually didn't box pick it up when he's 21 years old and actually hang with some of the best in the sports and so he's trying to build on that and my prediction Jake I don't know if he's going to knock him out but no, I think he will. I think he will get it, actually a clean shot. This is not going to be as quick as the previous fights where it's a first-round knockout. I think second or third round. But, I I mean, I just don't think you can pick up boxing in four months when you're 39 years old. But it will be a better fight than the Ben Askren fight. That much I can guarantee. All right, I'll finish out with some NFL topics and where Twitter was wrong. But let's start in New Orleans with Jameis Winston. And week two in the preseason, he was lights out. Throwing the deep ball, looked comfortable, accurate, always had a really strong arm. I mean, he's the first overall pick. He's extremely talented. He won a championship with Florida State his freshman year. And it just got me thinking, his time at Tampa Bay, maybe him and Arians weren't the best match. Jameis is a guy that needs to be focused and locked in, and Arians really isn't that type of detailed coach. He's always talking about leaving, drinking a cocktail, all that stuff. 
But now he's in New Orleans with Sean Payton, where it's a more it seems like it's a more sophisticated offense where you kind of know who's going to be open going into it. There's less guesswork. It's more detailed. And it seems like Jameis has fit in fairly seamlessly into that offense. And a credit goes to him because he could have gone somewhere else and maybe tried to start at a lesser team, but he took a year behind Drew Brees, learned the offense. He always looks looked engaged on the sidelines and when he came in he played really well and so this I don't think it's it's a discussion on who the starting quarterback is I I don't think Taysom Hill is necessarily a starting quarterback in the NFL I think he could be brought in in the red zone um, because we saw him do it last year and he's pretty effective on those end around runs or sometimes he'll throw Um, but Jameis Winston is a starter he looks good and it seems like a good fit between him and Sean Payton Next, let's go to Chicago, and the Bears just announced that Andy Dalton is their week one starter. He's not going to play in the week three of the preseason, and Justin Fields is good by all accounts. It looks like he's good. He's fast. He can evade the rush when he needs to, and my rookie quarterback tiers right now, I've got Zach Wilson and Justin Fields in tier one. They've both shown high-level talent. Zach Wilson, quick feet in the pocket, really quick release. Looks comfortable. Justin Fields, strong arm. He's been accurate. He also is fast, too, when he needs to evade the rush. And so it doesn't make sense. I mean, the players on the Bears, they know who the best quarterback is. And so you only have a limited time in the NFL. And so if you're a player on the Bears and you've got this fixed amount, maybe it's just a couple years left, and you're trying to win, trying to make the playoffs, if your team does better, you get to show off a little more, and maybe that leads to a better contract. There's so many good things that come from winning whether it's for team or the individual and everyone in that locker room knows Justin Fields is more talented and a better quarterback I mean Andy Dalton you don't even have to look at this preseason look at him on the Cowboys last year the stats and even just watching him it was pretty bad and that was with some good weapons on the Cowboys so it doesn't make sense Matt Nagy and and that coaching staff has done nothing to make you believe that they have some sort of plan and my guess is the Bears are going to start one and three, two and two and four, something like that. Let's say, let's say they start one and three, and the media, the fans, there'll be like a game or two where the defense played really well, but they didn't score enough points. They score like thirteen points, and it'll be well. If Justin Fields was in, we would have won, and that would probably be accurate. And so once you get to that point, four or five games in, they'll bring Justin Fields in. I think they should start him from week one. If he makes mistakes, who cares? Lord knows Andy Dalton is going to be making plenty of mistakes. So look for Justin Fields to start or at least come in and replace Andy Dalton around week four. Okay, so Jacksonville Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence running for his life. The Jaguars aren't good, and it's a worse roster than we thought previously. And the offensive line is terrible, and it makes – their first round pick of Travis Etienne looked even worse. And Urban was probably trying to get someone familiar with Trevor Lawrence. Obviously, Etienne and Lawrence played together at Clemson. But, I mean, drafting a running back in the first round when your roster is so bad doesn't make sense. There's so many more positions that are more valuable, including the offensive line where you protect that prized first overall asset in Trevor Lawrence. We saw the Chiefs completely 
overhaul their offensive line based off a loss in the Super Bowl, right? So it's offensive line is really important when your number one player, number one asset is quarterback position, and ETN's hurt and out for the season. But even before that, the pick didn't look good. They should have gone offensive lineman, and Trevor Lawrence could be good, but it's going to be tough for him to look good this year behind that offensive line. Um, I think his best case scenario is Joe Burrow, where he's running for his life, but he's making a ton of good throws and uh, and playing in shootouts. Okay, now it's time for the debut of the segment where Twitter was wrong, and Twitter, you're wrong about Cam Newton. People in sports media, on Twitter, everyone, for some reason, thinks Cam Newton is still close to the MVP form that he was in in 2015 and 2016. However, in reality, the past two, two and a half years, he's not been good. Matter of fact, last year, he was arguably the worst passer of every starting quarterback in the league. And that is in a group that includes Drew Locke and Mitchell Trubisky. He's a career 60% completion percentage passer last year, eight touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and he's an aging dual threat quarterback. He gets hits a lot. He gets hit a lot. He gets nicked up. And we saw last year as the season progresses, as he gets hit more and more stuff, go stuff starts to fade his mechanics, whether it's his shoulder or knee or something like that. He's so tall. He gets hit right in, in the danger zone in the knee area. And then he starts getting a little skittish in the pocket then the accuracy doesn't help, doesn't get better. He starts looking at the line. And if the stats don't work for you, just remember last year watching Patriots games. He missed so many open receivers, so many throws where a guy was wide open. There's so many clips of these, and he just spikes it right at the guy's feet. And I think that was just from getting hit so many times. He wasn't comfortable. And you can let the league do the work for you. So this past draft, there were five quarterbacks drafted in the first round. Okay, that's tied for the record. And so many teams needed a quarterback. And nobody wanted to bring in Cam Newton as a starting quarterback. And so he came back on a one-year deal with the Patriots for $3.5 million. You can let the rest of the NFL, the teams, the GMs do the work for you. Nobody wanted to bring them in in a time where there was a handful of teams that needed a quarterback and even spent a first-round pick in getting that quarterback rather than paying Cam Newton a few million dollars. And Mac Jones has looked pretty good. He doesn't seem like he's got the highest ceiling, but he's been accurate. He looks comfortable in that offense. And I think you can bring Cam Newton in on, on the red zone, uses big body, his legs, his athleticism. But I think Mac Jones gives him the best chance to win. And Cam Newton, I'm not sure what people are looking at. The past two years, he's not been an effective quarterback. And Mac Jones gives the Patriots the best chance of winning. So Cam Newton, I do not think, should be the starter for the New England Patriots. And Twitter, you are wrong about that. All right, that wraps up today's episode. I'll be back early next week. Everyone, enjoy the football this weekend, and I'll talk to you guys in a few days.